Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast on Ringer FC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, you're looking very yellow in your Stadio t-shirt. I'm wearing my yellow Stadio t-shirt today. Incredible. Yeah. How are you doing otherwise? You good? All right, man. It's going to be a warm one today. Yeah. Just in Berlin, not the podcast. <laughs> As always, deceptive because you look outside and it's quite grey, but I think it's that kind of humidity, isn't it? Yeah, it's a muggy one, as they oh, say. Interesting. What do they say in the UK? It's close. Yeah, very close. I hope everyone who's locked in is doing okay, safe and well, and getting by. Absolutely. And we hope that you have lovely weather wherever you are. Indeed, we do. Indeed, <laughs> and we that do. it isn't too close. Yes. The problem with humidity is it gets under your skin, unlike anything else. Like, you feel like the heat is actually inserting itself between the skin and the flesh. It's the only thing that gets more under my skin than an Arsenal performance. Oh, no, segue. Oh, gosh. Don't worry, there'll be no Arsenal content on this podcast. Well, there shouldn't be too much. We're recording this ahead of the Southampton game, so I don't need to talk about Arsenal. It's quite merciful. What shall we talk about? Well, we're also recording this ahead of Chelsea, Manchester City. So by the time you hear this, Liverpool could be champions. Yeah. But we're going to do a quick roundup of some stuff and then we're going to do a mailbag. But before we do, admin, so pushing our agenda again. If you do want to vote for us in the British Podcast Awards, (laughs) listener's choice, britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote. Search for Stadio. Go and vote. And give us a vote. Yeah, please. A little reminder, we'll be dual posting on the Stadio feed and the Ringer FC feed for a couple of weeks before migrating fully over to the Ringer FC Spotify feed. You only need a free account. Don't need a pay subscription. And any other admin. Oh, yeah. We've had a lot of requests this year for the intro music, who it's by or whatever. It's basically just something custom made for the show. So what we did was we put it on sale, stadio.bandcamp.com. There's an extended version and the actual version that you hear at the beginning of the podcast. And we're basically donating the proceeds. Sister Space in the UK, African American Policy Fund in the US, and Women in Exile in Germany. So if you want to support it, it's three euros for the but you can pay as much as you want. Stadio.bandcamp.com. So yeah, if you want to do that, that'd be great. I don't think there's any other admin. No, I think that's it for the week. Such an admin boffin. Yeah, you love it. It's like eating your greens before the fun part of the meal. You know, when you're like growing up, you always have the greens first. <laughs> Get it out of the way. Yeah, yeah. So you can't have that flavour. You could never finish a meal. Oh my God, they're going to come for me. You can never finish a meal in a Brussels sprouts flavour. No, 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 you can't. You've got to get them out of the way. You have to. Right. Makes sense, right? Early, early doors. Early doors. Right. Football. This weekend sees the return of major team sports to the US. The NWSL Challenge Cup starts on Saturday a condensed tournament that's going to be running over a month as opposed to the normal season, which we spoke about on Stadio when it was announced a while back, about a month ago, I think it was. We're really into the idea. Now, it's had to change format ever so slightly because Orlando Pride had to withdraw from the tournament. That story is wild. Due to a... wild. Multiple positive cases within the squad, thanks to some squad members going out to a bar and picking up coronavirus. So they've had to restructure the schedule a little bit, but the first game is North Carolina Courage against Portland Thorns on Saturday, 6.30 Central European summertime. And I think that's 12.30 Eastern time in the States. That sounds about right. We'll be talking about the NWSL Challenge Cup on the podcast as well. We had a few questions from people about covering the MLS when that returns in that tournament as well. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. It's quite nice, actually. We were saying about how because the leagues in Europe started, well, the Bundesliga started so soon, it's the final day on Saturday. And then it's the Bundesliga Zwei final day on Sunday. Still a lot to play for. But then that kind of steps aside and it's done just as Serie A starts ramping up, La Liga starts ramping up, Premier League mm. 
well, well, we kind of know who's going to win the league. And then you've got the NWSL and then the MLS stuff. You've got Liga Nosh back as well. Benfica doing their absolute best not to win the league. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of doing the most, doing the least. I don't know. If, did you see this game? No, I only saw that it was at 4 3. I, I didn't see the actual game, but I was, a friend was in my DMs going, oh my gosh, check this out. Going wild. Good Lord. So Benfica lost 4 3 uh, at home to Santa Clara. Porto beat Boa Vista 4 0 the same night, which means that Porto are now three points clear at the top of Liga Nosh with six games to go. I, I would recommend going to watch the highlights from this, anyone who wants to see. And also, the really cool thing about the highlights, they're on YouTube for Liga Nosh without commentary. And the sound of the players when they score. It's amazing. They actually make a similar sound to Portuguese crowds. It's really good. It's a great point. The thing about having no crowds is, you know, really hearing the sound when the ball hits the back of the net. Someone oh, yeah. scored this astonishing volley. Um, oh, for Red Bull Salzburg? Yeah, and the sound. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it was Slatko Junozovic scored that volley to make it 6-1 against Rapid Vienna in Vienna. My goodness. That game ended up being 7-2, by the way. <laughs> Wild. We can't accuse people in the absence of crowds, of not really going for it. This is a little bit of a segue because this week saw a lot of goals. Should we start with Atalanta? Because Atalanta got goals. Oh my goodness. You know when you see those memes that are like couple goals? Do you think every football club is just like Atalanta goals? Yeah, I reckon they're the team that people watch. You know, there's always, in every major sport, there's a team that doesn't win trophies, but still somehow defines the era. Mm. So like, you know, the Phoenix Suns, Mike D'Antoni, like they define an era and they, they show football in a new light. And you had it in football with Juan de Ramos and Sevilla. They actually, Sevilla won a fair bit, to be fair. They never won the, they, they won the Europa League. They never they sort of won the, the La Liga or the Champions League, but they defined, you could argue their style defined La Liga mm. more than teams that actually won the title. It was kind of and, like the Ajax, the Ajax Champions League run of last season. Yeah, thank well. exactly. Yeah. Perfect, perfect example. Atalanta, what they stand for, and you know, to paraphrase that Pep Guardiola quote that you tweeted the other day, always watch Atalanta. Kevin Williams was criticising at Kev Will on Twitter. He's a great follower. Kevin was saying like, what's wrong with Barcelona? Mm. And I said, they play the pass too late and the window closes. And Atalanta always play the pass early. Mm. Their passes create the runs, create the movement. And that's the thing. If you, if you watch what they're doing, it looks fairly straightforward until you watch it again and you realise that they're always moving. And from the moment the goalkeeper receives the ball, they're thinking of scoring. They're literally planning goals from the moment. And that's what's so dangerous. Even when they go, you know, against Lazio, we'll talk about the game. Even when they're ahead in that game, they're still going, not in an irresponsible way. They're still trying to construct attacks. Mm. They just never turn it off. It is very much attack is the best form of defence with Atalanta. Yeah. I don't think anyone in the top seven or eight or nine, I think it is in, say, I have conceded more goals than Atalanta, but they're the top goal scorers in the league by a mile. Yeah. So super entertaining. High goal scoring every game, pretty much, it seems yeah. like. I mean, even it, that crossover into the Champions League as well, when they were playing Valencia and stuff like that, they were just unbelievable to watch. And this game is amazing because they went 2-0 down. Yeah. And looked in big trouble. Did you see the thing that Martin Darun posted on Twitter? No, I didn't see it in a So Martin Darun, who plays for Atalanta, a really good follower on Twitter, he scored an own goal. And he posted a thing just saying, one of those days starring Martin Darun which was just like a clip of him scoring the own goal. And then that, you may have wondered what I'm doing here kind of thing. Oh, amazing. Record scratch. And then it kind of showed the own goal again and then cut to the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about them is they laugh themselves, but also 
You say they looked in big trouble, but I would argue they didn't only because they didn't panic. I would say they look in big trouble because you go 2-0 down at home to Lazio, who are yeah. a very good side and were pushing for the, still pushing yeah. for a title. You'd think... Totally, yeah, yeah. Hmm, okay. But they, did, they didn't scramble. No. Yeah. I think they knew that they would get chances. And I actually tweeted, go up against Atalanta in a shootout at your peril. Because when you make it a shootout against Atalanta, you're done. Ryan, did you just tweet, if you come at Atalanta, you best not miss? Basically, yeah. <laughs> when I saw big, it, I, and I saw this big Omar energy. Big Omar energy from Atalanta. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There were loads of wire references flying around Atalanta last night. What is it James Orcastle said that if uh, the wire was still going now, like instead of hearing pandemic in the background, like they'd, people would be like flipping Atalanta. Get that Atalanta. Yeah, I, I said, I'd be, I'd be like, Atlanta, Atlanta. <laughs> and then James was like, I'm buying. I mean, Atalanta were sensational from 2 0 down to 3 2 up. And they scored every kind of goal. Score from a set piece, score from distance. There were some absolutely beautiful goals in this game. I mean, Milinkovic-Savic's yeah. goal for Lazio. The sec- was it the second? It was the second. Oh, wow. It reminded me of Sergio Aguero's first goal, I think, for City against Swansea. Like the first one he ever scored, where he hit this kind of tracer yeah. across the keeper. You know that one? At the Etihad. It was when he came on as a sub, right? Right. It was yeah. a 4 nil. It was a surface-to-air strike. And I remember thinking, this is terrifying because... A lot of people, when Aguero arrived, were like, ah, oh, he's not doing that from distance. And the reason why Malinkovic Savage's strike is similar to Aguero's and so terrifying as well is that the keeper has a full sight of it and it travels across him from right yeah. to left and he's nowhere near it. Like, he's yeah, nowhere he doesn't near have it. a chance. It reminds me of one of those missiles that they fire in Star Wars. Yes. The only way that you're getting away from it is like if you can manage to swerve through an asteroid field. Yeah, right. Because it was only going in. <laughs> yeah, it's only going in. When I was watching it, though, I was convinced it took a deflection because it moved so much. Right, right. But the thing that's amazing on the replay, the way that his body is lined up, it almost looks yeah. like he should be pinging one to the corner flag. Yeah. That's how far away his body was facing from where he ended up putting it. Yes. To hit it that clean with that kind of power and movement across your body, it's just unbelievable. Astonishing. It's astonishing. All the goals in that game, pretty much, even the own goal was quite fun. Yeah, yeah it was. They could finish that. <laughs> yeah. Finish. It was a lovely finish. I mean, it was a horrible cross to do. Someone said, oh, like, why didn't you go with this other foot? But those are really hard. Yeah. I think the moment the ball enters the box, this is the thing. What, unfortunately, those kinds of balls do, those passes do. They expose the decision-making, the defender, because you have to make a decision. When the ball comes like that, you've got to be like, mm. I'm going to slash at this. Because if you look at a lot of those kind of finishes, even though they're quite emphatic, they're half-hearted because the ball hasn't hit you on your terms, if mm. that makes sense. But yeah, that's a great game, Atalanta-Lazio. And it followed another great game, which was into Sassuolo. Inter taking the lead to go 3-2 up with four or five minutes to play. Sassuolo going up the other end 90 seconds later and equalising. They had a horrible miss at 2-1 Inter. They did. Horrific miss at 2-1. If they'd taken it to 3-1, I reckon it was lights out. Sammy, I got goals, man. It's had goals for a while. Slyly, it's slyly had goals for a while. That kind of defensive reputation has... Oh yeah, it's subsided. It's tiptoed away. Ironically, tiptoed away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and those two games followed, obviously, uh, Juve beating Bologna on Monday night after we recorded the last podcast. So it's kind of as... Well, no, it's not as you were at the top, but obviously... Juve extend their lead by three points. So they're four points clear of Lazio now. Inter, four points behind Lazio. And Atalanta are four points behind Inter. And they've got a six-point gap to Roma. So I think that top four will probably be as it is. But you could potentially see Atalanta causing Inter some problems for that third place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had a tweet from Leo the Legend saying, is Serie A over after Lazio's defeat to Atalanta? I don't think it's over quite because there are still 11 games to play. And I think with Atalanta on an absolute tear, 
They're on a run of seven straight wins, including the Champions League, unbeaten in all competitions in nine. And they've come back from the break, scoring seven goals in two games, conceding three. They will cause Juve problems. You know, they go to Juve on the 11th of July. Right. And also, don't forget that Ilicic has been has played almost none of those last two games. Yeah, that adds another element in there. And I, I don't think it's quite done yet. I think the top four, as it is, in terms of sides, is done. I'm not sure Roma have got enough to get into that top four. Right. But you never know. We have to mention Edin Dzeko's two goals as well. On Wednesday, Edin Dzeko scored two superb goals for Roma against Sampdoria. And I mean, actually, funnily enough, in terms of quality reminiscent of Batistuta-style finishes. Mm. So yeah, he's looking superb. I mean, I've mentioned Dzeko before as someone I believe to be the most underrated modern number nine of modern times. Yeah, I mean, that's not... He's definitely out there. Golden boots in three different countries. Mm. I mean, Samp have been a little unlucky since they've come back. Losing 2-1 to Inter, losing 2-1 to Roma. I don't think they would have probably expected to take anything from those games, but they've not been bad, actually. Claudio Ranieri, Samp. All right, let's quickly move over to the Premier League because Liverpool might be champions by the time you listen to this after a 4-0 win at home to Crystal Palace. Little uh, shout for the Gagan press in post-game from Klopp. Haven't heard that for a while. I didn't catch it. In his post-match interview, he said, I, w- I said I wanted to see some of the best games of football behind closed doors. He said, I don't want it to go on for too long, but I want to see some of the best games. And he said, tonight was the best counter-pressing game I've ever seen behind closed doors. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Ooh. Palace weren't helped by losing Wolf Zaha really early on. Trent Alexander-Arnold's free kick was great. Although I had a problem with the wall here. Oh, really? Yeah, the lowest part of the wall was furthest away from Hennessy. I mean, I've heard radical arguments about removing walls for certain free kicks. I don't know if I subscribe to that, but every now and again, I wonder if they hinder. Not in all cases, not in all cases. Well, I think the wall hindered him a little bit here because he lined up behind the tallest player in the wall and um, and it just made it a lot easier for Alexander-Arnold to go over the wall into that corner. Which is where he was always going to go. Yeah, I mean, it was still an amazing free kick. But the fourth goal, Mane's, was unbelievable. It reminded me of Pedro's goal in the Classico against, well, in the Classico. (laughs) Yeah, it was the second goal and it was like, Xavi hits the ball and Pedro takes it out of his feet with one touch and the first touch creates the space for the second, the finish. It was actually quite an Henri finish too from Mane, like when he got the pass from Salah. It's like, the first touch is so beautiful because it squares up. So, I mean, it squares up finish with the other. I, yeah. I love that. And it's so classical as a counter. It's such a kind of... Oh, it was an incredible goal. It's so I clean. Thought. It's so clean. But the thing that was so impressive was he didn't just admire the pass as well. He absolutely like busted a gut to get into the box. And for a split second, you thought he might have been a little pissed off that Mane didn't square it for him again. <laughs> <laughs> Mane was like, this is mine. This is my mine. Time. Sorry, mate. This is my... Yeah, absolutely. We will inevitably talk in depth about Liverpool's title win when that happens. I mean, Fabinho's goal. We yeah, we haven't even talked about Fabinho's goal, yeah. Exactly. It's an afterthought. Mm. He hit that strike like vintage Xabi Alonso. Mm. Fabinho, look at the depth they've got. This guy was a right back for Real Madrid. Okay. And they got him like coming in, doing shifts for them in their midfield. Mm. Rotating. And they're going to add depth to that. There's talk of other big players coming in the summer. One or two exciting names. I mean, not going to mention them because there's still rumours at this point, but they are just extraordinary. This is what was always going to happen when Jurgen Klopp actually got resources. Yeah. This is what happens when you combine an all-time great manager, a generationally great manager with the actual resources to do their damn yeah, job. Yeah, definitely. Let's save a, yeah, a little bit more in Liverpool because I'd like of to course. do a big yeah, thing about them when they inevitably okay. do win it. 
uh, another good result for Manchester United. Yeah, very good. Martial, Anthony Martial got a hat-trick. Yeah. Um, Do you see the stat? So, the first Manchester United Premier League hat-trick post-Alex Ferguson. It's unbelievable. There's a few things to notice about this. So, United win 3-0 against a really a very good Sheffield United side. Mm. Like, Sheffield United, they might have looked rusty, but it's still Sheffield United. This is still a very good team, a very well-coached team. And the way that United broke them down was really impressive. This is as a piece of attacking work from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, because he must get the respect for the tactics there. Really impressive. But also, I have to say, Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford, Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba would grace pretty much any team in the world. Like those players playing at their peak, that is an, an incredibly good quartet of footballers. And if you get them playing in sync, which Solskjaer has done, they're so dangerous. The only thing I would say is, it's so frustrating. We said this in the last podcast. You've got Fernandez and Pogba, are obviously two number eights, a defensive midfielder behind them, and then those two strikers, and then maybe someone else to add to that front three. Mm. And you're absolutely cooking. Um, Aaron Bissaka looked really good down the right flank. Just United just looked like they belonged in the top four. I was watching this and going, you know what? This is a top four team. A little bit of the There's not even a kind back, of. Yeah, it's just good. The way they were moving the ball around. I mean, Atalanta obviously are an extreme case. They're like a hyperactive team. Um, but Pogba moved, you know, so that United weren't quite that active on the front foot, but Pogba moved with such ease mm. and just strolled through gaps. But there's the combination play, the, the way that Pogba combines with Fernandes, the way that Rashford combined with Martial for two goals, the way that Martial is now making the runs into the six-yard box that he wasn't maybe making. He's running like a centre-forward now, not like a winger. Mm. That's really powerful. So yeah, just I'm not going to dwell on it too much because, you know. There are some teams that maybe needed a break more than others. Someone like Manchester United, I think just having a bigger story at play than whether Manchester United are any good what Paul Pogba's up to or whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a good enough manager or not, I think did him, made doing the world good. I mean, hindsight's obviously a wonderful thing, but having bigger problems in the world may have suited Manchester United a little bit because it was all very quiet for a while. Yeah, they went under the radar. You know, there was yeah, no yeah, real Pogba yeah. news, nothing like that. And then he came back and he's been good in the first two games. We said on the last podcast that it's too early to really make any definitive calls, but Definitely signs of improvement in Manchester United. And Anthony Martial smiling post-gate like I mean, after, after he came off. I don't think I've ever seen him that happy before. That's a good shout, you know. I don't, yeah, I think that that's probably, yeah, I think that's right. Quickly in La Liga, Real Madrid beat Mallorca 2-0 at home. Quite comfortable for them. Barca managed eventually to beat Athletic after not looking particularly good. Rakitic came on for Griezmann, I think, and scored off a Lionel Messi assist. Mm. I made a mental note like Griezmann coming off with it almost half an hour to go in a big game that's 0-0 mm, can't remember that happening much at Atleti no it's horrible that, that that move has worked out so horribly for him I mean we've talked about it before in terms of a bad fit I just feel really bad for him and also there's talk of Arthur going to Juventus yeah potentially Pjanic coming the other way I mean bad time for Barca one thing I will say about the whole Real Madrid thing and it's important to mention as well before we forget Mallorca youngest ever debutant yeah. in the history of La Liga Luke Romero. Sporting a haircut older than he is. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, that was lovely to see. That's what they call in Germany a Fokohila. So basically, that's what the German word oh. is for a, for a mullet. Fokohila. So it literally translates to front, short, back, long. Oh. Uh, they also call it a Bundesliga haircut. Such a technical description. Atleti are catfishing us. Well, they did catfish us with their win over Osasuna. They won 5-0 in 
the first, well, no, second game back against Osasuna and then reverted to tight with two 1-0 wins. Actually, no, I think the biggest catfish in that league this week is actually Sergio Ramos's beard. No one's talking about it. He seems to have adopted the energies of Messi. Like, is it like the holder of the beard wins the league? He's almost appropriated it directly. Like, even the style of the beard, like, it's, it's like, it's, it's consciously overgrown. Do you think it's like, depending on how long it goes, it's like how many infinity stones you have? I think that's it. I think there's something, there is something going on as they reach their antiquity, these two old masters. I wonder if they, I don't, you know, I don't know what kind of relationship those two have off the field. I'm not sure they even socialise, but are they like De Niro and Pacino that they've never met? And they never actually, you know, like De Niro and Pacino in all these films, they never actually interacted socially. And the first time is in that cafe. And I know that mm. like, we can say that Ramos is actually Val Kilmer, blah, blah, blah. But let's imagine it's De Niro and Pacino and it's just Messi and Ramos and they've never actually interacted. And years from now, once they've left football, They'll, they'll meet in a cafe in, in, in Bilbao. That's really interesting that you raised that point because do you know what I was thinking going back a little bit watching the Liverpool Crystal Palace game? Roy Hodgson at the moment is sporting the look of when they do a reboot of a 70s gangster franchise <laughs> and he shows up as one of the original characters in the franchise but he's just got old, you know, so he's, he's, oh. he left the game but he used to be, he's got the look, the air of a I think it's his, his, his quarantine hair. He's got the air of a, like, he used to be the most feared guy, but now he's just a gentle guy in his 70s who... Like Feature the Manor, like Feature and Sopranos, Feature the Manor yeah, and Sopranos. Went legit, he went legit. Someone needs to do, someone needs to adapt, I mean, probably us actually. Someone needs to actually <laughs> adapt this. Or do our, like, fictional gangster trilogy using football players. Oh my okay. gosh, we do, we're going to do that. If, for people who are new to the podcast, if you go back and check the Stadio feed from whenever football stopped or sports stopped, there are a number of extremely silly conceptual episodes. Yeah, there are. Uh, let's take a break and then we're going to come back and do a mailbag. Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break and let's get into a mailbag. Yep, yep. We've got a question from Zane on Twitter. He said, is it better to win the league after watching your rival team not winning a football game or after your team wins a game themselves? Asking for a Liverpool fan. My preference is to win it. Yeah, same. Because you go with the euphoria, like you're all hyped. Like the players are hyped from winning. You're hyped as fans. You've all exerted something. If you're kind of just watching someone else do it, I mean, to be honest, Liverpool have waited so long that they don't care how it's going to be won. Yeah. And good luck to them. I mean, you look when Arsenal won those big championships, when Tony Adams strolls through and scores, you know, and clinches the title. Oh. Or when United would like have these kind of ceremonial victories on the last day when Giggs, you know, slots it past mm. the keeper against, I think, Wigan. You know, those the signature victories or when Arsenal come to Old Trafford and win with Will Tord, when you go and claim it yourself, it feels more righteous, I think. I agree. Next question. <laughs> We're just whipping <laughs> through these. All right, let's touch on Barcelona a little bit. We've got this question from Spencer. What manager do you think it would take to rekindle the old more than a club spirit at Barca? Is that idea long gone or do you think it could make a comeback? There isn't one. And... I say that because 
I think Jurgen Klopp would struggle with this Barcelona squad. I think the problem is so profoundly one of recruitment that brilliant managers look ineffectual in a situation like this. When the board is actively working against you at a commercial level, at a sporting level, and there's so much disarray, there's not a manager that fixes this. And I, I, that sounds terrible to say it, but when a ship is full of holes, you don't need someone to steer. You need an engineer. Oh, who's going to be the best person sailing this boat? Like the boat's full of holes. And this is the problem with Barcelona. Like I, I get the question. I, res- I respect it. I appreciate it. It's also like the board does not get enough criticism for its recruitment, its failure to build a squad, for the wage structures, the incentivization, the waste of the latter years of Leo Messi is inexcusable. People say it's difficult to play with Messi. Look, like Di Maria never struggled. There's a profile of player that's out there that can play with Messi. Neymar and Suarez did all right. Yeah, exactly. There's a structure that can use him. And Rakitic did just fine. 2015, we weren't saying they couldn't play with Messi. 2015 was beautifully balanced. They'll play, you know, so I just feel like this, like people can't play with Messi. That's putting pressure on players and blame on coaches that should be at the boardroom level. It's absolutely disgraceful and shocking that a club with this many resources, that as much goodwill is in this state. And we can look at them at the top of the Spanish league. No, it's a, it's a deep rot. And I don't think that a manager, and I'm saying the reason I don't want to name a name is because if I name a name, if they contributes in a very, very, very small way, because, you know, who cares what I say, but it contributes in a very small way to thinking that a manager is the remedy for this. Yeah, I think the only way that you can have a manager to bring back that is if it's someone who has enough of a, a reputation as a player, maybe at Barcelona, goodwill with fans, and therefore has the power to change things at boardroom level. So basically, you almost need a figure to come in who is bigger than the board. And there aren't many out there at the moment. The only one that's, that springs to mind is someone like Javi. From a personality point of view or from a culture point of view in terms of like, this guy's Javi. It may have to be him. It may have, it may have to be. But then again, you don't know whether he's got the skill sets as a manager. I probably, I think he probably will do. Having seen various clips of him talking about stuff, football-wise, tactic-wise, he would have the respect of anyone who played under him. Yeah. But he wouldn't be able to do it alone. I mean, you saw how the problem started to come in when Pep was there and it burnt Pep out did the same with Luis Enrique. Those were probably the only two managers in the last decade that Barcelona have had, Barvi and Nova, who had the power to change the culture above them. And none of them managed to do it. No. I think there needs to be a massive political upheaval within the club. You know, they almost need like a Cruyff to come in and do one of his coups and basically just be like, what are we doing here? Why are we talking about bringing Pjanic in of that age profile to play in your midfield next to someone like Frankie Diong? They need to make a decision, Barcelona, because I never thought I would say this in a million years and I don't think he would ever leave, really. But why have Messi if you're not going to kind of put a cohesive unit around him? There's no point. I saw a really worrying stat. Four times in La Liga this season, a player has completed 10 dribbles. I think Messi was either two or three of them. Eden Hazard was the other. Two of those have come in the last two Barcelona games. Messi's usage and the reliance upon him is just unbelievable. It's not because Messi's being greedy, it's because Messi's looking up ahead of him and he's not seeing options. So he's running with the ball to create runs. Mm. And Ricky Pooch, it's interesting. Ricky Pooch is someone who's not jaded by maybe some of the things around the squad. And he's yeah. someone who you can see, you can see the quality of Setien's coaching and Ricky Pooch, because Ricky Pooch has taken him up and promoted him. And his passing into feet was far, far better than players who've been in the Barca squad longer than he has. He was hammering the ball into the final third throughout that game against, I think, Athletic. And it was just, it was just striking to me that Setien is a very good coach. Yeah, I agree. 
but I'm not sure he'll get the pieces or the structure or the support he needs in time to make Barcelona the team that he envisaged when he took the job. If Barca had a cohesive plan at boardroom level and there was a really strong wave of players coming through as well, I'd say straight away someone like Thomas Tuchel would be the guy. But I just don't think, I just don't think Tuchel would get on with that board at all. And I mean, I I actually think Tuchel is doing a pretty good job at PSG, all things considered. I think he steadied the ship a little bit and handled some pretty tricky situations within the dressing room that you saw people like Unai Emery just not be able to handle. And I think he's kind of done it pretty well. Yeah, Obviously he's quite prickly, but he's one of the few, unless you're talking about Poch, but Poch would never go to Barcelona because of his Espanol connection. In terms of people on the market who have the skill set and the experience to coach a side like Barca, I'd probably say Tuchel is one of the only people. Yeah, I would agree. I agree. Like you say, Tuchel would need to go with a kind of consortium. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he'd go in there like it is. Let's move on. Okay, this one's a good one from Anirud S on Twitter. So we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago on the Stadio podcast before we joined the Ring RC feed. Women's Champions League is returning in August. Potential Women's Champions League 2020 winners, apart from Lyon. I see it being whoever emerges from Wolfsburg, who should beat Glasgow. Whoever emerges from Wolfsburg against the Bayern Atleti, the, the Barca Atleti tie, I think it comes from that half of the draw. Because I think the anger at being denied so often by Leon, also coupled with the fact that it's just very, very difficult to keep repeating, I think this is the year that Leon dropped their standard, I think. Well, I, yeah, I mean, obviously they're going to be without Ada Hegerberg as well. I don't think she's going to be fit in time for the final stages. I don't think Bayern will get past Lyon. No. I think Wolfsburg will comfortably go past Glasgow City. I'm not entirely sure about Atleti or Barca. I think it's Wolfsburg or whoever emerges from that Arsenal-PSG tie. I think you have to be really fearful of. I think Arsenal needed a break. In a very, very, very condensed run of fixtures, Arsenal could cause Lyon problems. But I think that's mainly down to just how dangerous Viv Miedemar is. The reason I'm against Wolfsburg for this, even though it's a great chance for them to win this title, mm. I'm not convinced they have the firepower. Same reason I'm not that hot on Bayern. In tight games this season, Bayern have been more prone to containment. So I'm not sure that Wolfsburg can have goals. And I think that Arsenal do. Arsenal have the firepower. And mm. Leon defensively have not looked as robust as in previous years. I just think that it's one that's also as well, let's factor in the intangibles of Arsenal being really, really sore mm. about being caught on the hop in the league. I think Arsenal were, I don't think they were complacent against Chelsea, but I think they were surprised by, they were taken by surprise, I think, by just how good Chelsea were yeah, I this agree. year. I think there's a lot, if you look at the Chelsea performance in the, in the Women's Super League, key players in the Chelsea squad emerged they didn't just emerge, they erupted in terms of their quality mm. of form. And at each point in the season, Chelsea rotated well. They were strategic in their substitutions, their additions. So I think that Arsenal basically, Arsenal I think will win because they've got a chip on their shoulder. You think they'll be PSG? Like got chip. Yeah, yeah. I think they've got a chip on their shoulder. And that is, when you look at these late stages of these tournaments, and that goes to the men's tournament as well, it's why I think Atleti are dangerous. You know, Atleti have got Marco Lorento firing for them. They've got some good pieces, Joao Felix. I'm thinking, who's bitter? Who's bitter this time around? Mm. Bayern and the men's are bitter. Why they haven't won for that long? In terms of intangibles, there's so much riding on who returns in what condition. As we've seen with the return of 
football so far, one or two injuries or six or seven in Arsenal's case in the men's game can completely destabilise that run of form. And when you're dealing with such a condensed format of, I think it's three weeks, all of the games are being played in, in San Sebastian and Bilbao. Say, for example, Viv Miedemar picks up a hamstring injury in game one or you know, Lucy Bronze gets injured for Lyon. Lucy Bronze is so integral to the transition of Lyon's game. I was at the final last year, as I've mentioned before, and it was honestly one of the most impressive right-back performances I've ever seen, just in terms of the sheer ground, the athleticism, and the relentlessness for the whole game. Yeah. If everyone stays fully, fully fit, I obviously think Lyon will win it. I just think they've got too much. But yeah, we'll see. It's going to be good though. Yeah, it'll be really great. We should try and get out there. Oh, I hope so. Um, okay, let's do one final question before we bounce. From John Squires, how should lower league football across Europe be protected looking forward to next season? With most clubs from mid-table championship down in England unable to survive without crowds, should the government step in or a levy placed on Premier League TV money? It might be worth mentioning that actually, even though I don't think it was enough, the four clubs that were in the Champions League this season from Germany, without the DFL's request, they did it on their own, set up a solidarity fund to spread through the lower divisions towards lower clubs and help support them, which I thought was a really good move. I thought they could have probably done a little bit more financially. And I think the DFL should have done more financially because we've talked about this before and it's kind of passed now. But I mean, you see the way that the Bundesliga and the Zweite Bundesliga and then the Dritter Liga has been rolled out. It's put massive pressure on so many clubs in terms of an emotional, physical point of view and also a financial point of view. So my personal opinion is that if the associations have pushed for football to return, obviously from a financial point of view, which is exactly why they've done it, because they've had to, then they have to really, really step up in order to support clubs going forward over the next few years. And they have to come up with a solution, I think, across the... I don't, I don't really know what that is, because unfortunately I just do a podcast. <laughs> but... There has to be some real work done here. And and also for the women's game, I think this is something that's really, really integral, especially in Europe, because I think the I think the the health of the women's game in, in terms of the NWSL is a lot stronger on the whole, I think. And obviously that a lot of that is down to the strength and the profile of the US women's national team. I think in Europe, you've already seen that multiple women's teams are in trouble due to a massive lack of funding from the clubs as a whole, you know, Liverpool prime example. Something has to really be done here to to secure the health of lower division sides in the men's game and women's game and also higher teams in the women's game as well because they don't have the revenue streams that the men's do. I think maybe this is a moment, we've talked about this before in terms of what would the pandemic mean for a restructuring of football and some would say that was premature because a lot of us just want to get back to normal. The one reason I'm optimistic about the ability of clubs to change is that on a slightly unrelated note, we've just seen as a result of the Black Lives Matter protests, partly as a result of that, we've seen the Premier League recently announce that they're going to provide legal fees and full support for any player or member of a player's family who receives online racist mm-hmm. abuse, right? That is a big, big step for the Premier League to take. It's not a thing it normally does. So if we look at the context that pressure does work, protest does work, if there was a sort of situation where a group of clubs banded together and really sort of made a case, almost kind of like a form of like unionising and really made a kind of quite profound case. Maybe this is a moment where it's like, we need something more, we need a better structure. And maybe in the spirit of that, we need a kind of like post-pandemic settlement for football. 
I don't know. That's I, I just remember I just remember that footage of the Dinamo Dresden player yeah. who was in floods of tears. Well, not floods, he was really emotional. I think he was almost tearful because Dinamo Dresden basically are facing the drop because they started their games late and they had a backlog of fixtures. They played too much football. This was due to them being quarantined because of positive coronavirus tests. Yes, yeah, so they had to catch up and they had a horrible backlog of fixtures. And a result of which they're facing, well, they were already a bit in trouble, but this is like really aggravated it. And I just saw that footage and thought, that's devastating for a player, for a squad, for a town, for a fan base. For a human being. It's yeah. Like, for, like, course, for a sec, yeah, like course, forget the football. Like, you know, these are, these are people who have been pushed into a situation to stay away from their families and do this stuff. Yeah. And they got pushed into playing an obscene amount of games in such a short space of time because they had their first couple of games postponed. Yeah. Which put them at a disadvantage and they could have stayed up. They were bottom, yes, but they could have very, very realistically got into a position to stay up. And it's almost like, the I think, the to the teams that have been really hurt by this specifically, all of yeah. the associations really owe them. Yeah. Because they got football back and they got their TV money and they really, really have to step up, I think, over the next season or two and continue that going forward. This has to change something because if anything, like with a number of other things, this pandemic has highlighted how fragile even elite football can be. And that shouldn't be the case. That With a game with that much money flying around, it shouldn't take two months of no fixtures to potentially send clubs under. Yeah. It's just it's inexcusable. So there has to be a better solution going forward, I think. I agree. What a nice, happy, chipper note to end the podcast on. <laughs> yeah, great choice. Great choice of question. Thanks for that, John. <laughs> I know. I was, it was my choice because I read it. You know, sorry. To, no, that was a really good question, John. I should probably it was have structured, this, structured this a little bit better. Also, shout out to John because John is like such a loyal and longtime follower. Yeah, definitely. John Watson, yeah. nursing, I think. Shout out to John. Doing the NHS. Yeah, shout out to John. Doing the Lord's work out there. Much appreciated. Let's finish on something a little bit more chipper. This one's from, his Twitter name is a little bit less. Uh, he's just tagged us in a thing that Sam Lee, who covers Man City for The Athletic, wrote. Guardiola says Gundogan is somebody who could replace Aguero up front. And then he's put this thing saying, documents, Man City, things I'd love to see, Gundogan as a false nine. <laughs> and we just got tagged in it saying, thoughts? Hashtag Blue Moon. Yeah, of course he could. I mean, look at him in the 3-1 three, the against Barca when he was out of this world. Yeah, take my money. Yeah, yeah. Gundogan would absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gundogan could play anywhere, I think. But it's such a Pep thing even to say that because he knew that everyone would be talking about it. I reckon Pep has got like a burner account where he says this stuff that goes into the chat rooms and like watch everyone get excited about it. When Pep said Fernandino can play all ten can play ten positions, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet he went straight to the Man City like chat group and logged in and was like, ha 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 ha. Yeah, of course Pep did that. I think he loves it. I'm all for Gundogan playing as the false nine. But I think we need to talk on about the deeper issue here, which is which figures in football have got burner accounts. Oh, all of them. Because that is an entire subculture. Yeah, definitely. All right, one more positive note before we get out of here. 32 years ago today that Marco Van Basten scored that volley in the Euros. Oh my gosh. And that keeper, Renat Dasev, for the USSR, mm. was an outstanding goalkeeper. Mm. He was outstanding. And for those, I mean, those who don't know that goal, well, who doesn't? Well, younger people. It's like us saying, to listen to Diana Ross, isn't it? And they'll be like, what? But Marco Van Basten is our Diana Ross, really. I mean, that is a weird shot. That's a weird take. I'm but it makes lie. sense though, right? It makes sense that it doesn't. Better at penalties. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> See, that again is a reference people won't get. Anyway, it's all oh, good. Hey, they it's will. Good. 94 World Cup. Everyone yeah, that. fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I reckon that's it, man. 
Yeah. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Stadio, Stadio Football on Instagram. Moose is at Okwonga on Twitter. I am at Ryan Hun. Stadio.football is our own website where you can check out some previous work and writing from other people as well. Ringersc.com forward slash soccer. Uh, I just had a piece go up, actually. I wrote that piece about going to Hertha Leverkusen and then the experience of being at a ghost game. That's on the Ringer site now. We're playing out this week with the pool Jamaica running. For those of you who like music, if you go on Spotify and search Stadio Outros, we basically playlist everything we play out on. Um, it's in a nice handy playlist for you. So anything else to add, Moose Wakwonga? No, only hopefully you have joyful weekends, free from stress. You're not too confined by your surrounding circumstances. I know it's the pandemic on, so take care, everyone. Yeah, and otherwise, isn't just great to have some form of football back just be able to talk? I mean, the other night when I was watching, I was going, wow, I can just, I can zip across from Real Mallorca to, you know, there's like United are playing and Atalanta Lazio. And I just thought, I really like having football. Straight into the veins. Indeed, indeed. Have a good weekend, everyone.